You are listening to the Doc Doc Goose Podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Doc Doc Goose Podcast. My name is Sean. I'm one of your docs. Here's Ben Imes. He's your other doc. Good afternoon. And our goose, Matt Imes. One of two goose today. Actually, no. Annie, you're a doctor, right? Mm-hmm. Damn it. I could be a goose. <laughs> you're still the only goose. <laughs> doc, 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 goose. Yeah. Bucko. Oh. At the point that there are two gooses, technically, aren't they geese? Doc, doc, geese. Mm, we'll have to change the whole podcast. Can't wait till there's a flock and we outnumber you guys. <laughs> and you guys. <laughs> a minority. As Matt already alluded to, we have a special guest with us today, Dr. Annie Kadar, who is the holistic DPT. Welcome you. back, Annie. So glad to be here. We're happy to have you. Today is episode 23, getting back into it. Sorry for our absence. This is going to be a good one because we are back to health article episodes again. If you haven't been here in a while, which we haven't been here in a while, so I'm going to remind our cast as well as all of you, health article episodes are where we each bring a health article that has caught our eye recently for discussion. First, we need our disclaimer to cover us from all liabilities that we will possibly incur along the way here. Ben? Yeah, so remember, this podcast is purely educational and slightly humorous also sometimes. Uh, It should not be taken as us giving you medical advice. Uh, We are not establishing a physician, PT, PT, or architect-patient relationship. And um, if you have any health questions, you really should see your own physician um, if the, the, oh, oh, the other big thing. Wow, this is the worst disclaimer ever. The views that are expressed on here do not necessarily reflect the views of our employers, except those of us who are self-employed, and then that may or may not be true. Thanks, Ben. First up on this week's articles is going to be Dr. Imes. All right. Today's first article comes from the European Society of Cardiology. Yes, those European cardiologists have done another amazing study. Uh, And this one is on developing blood clots while watching TV. Uh, Now, those of you out there who may have watched some TV every now and then, what they have found is that watching TV for four hours a day or more is associated with a 35% higher risk of blood clots compared with watching two and a half hours or less. Oh man. So uh, this study is pretty, pretty awesome. And that they drew these like outstanding conclusions and actually in the real world, I don't know how much of this is going to affect us, but just in case you see this come across your sensational news headlines, um, take it with a grain of salt. Uh, People who, are prolonged viewers in this study as people that watched for more than four hours a day and people who are never or seldom viewers 
watch less than two and a half hours a day. So if you watch two and a half hours a day, you're still a never viewer. I, I don't. Yeah. Uh, right. I don't. How much TV do each of you watch? Let's go around. Let's go around and say what, what's kind of your average. Average weekends in there too. Sure, why not? That might skew the average a little bit. Maybe not. Wait, so per week or per day? On a day, per day. This is per day. No, per per day. Aver- average out a week and then per day. How long will we be? So I'll I'll start. We're like thirty minutes, maybe. And that's only watching something while going to sleep, just to, to wind down at the end of the day. That's it. I don't have time for TV otherwise. Um, I'm at one to two hours usually. So usually the bulk of that's in the morning when I'm waking up, drinking coffee, and then um, the remainder is probably yeah ten fifteen minutes at night before I fall asleep. Okay. I'm usually at about like an hour to half hour on weekdays, maybe a little more on weekends because treat yourself, you know. Okay. Excellent reason. Yeah, I mean weekends if I'm watching football or basketball or something, maybe maybe a couple hours, but during the week if I get in an hour, it's that's pretty pretty impressive. Now, the caveat is TikTok. I don't know. That oh, that, that takes up way it's too much me. of my time. That doesn't count, <laughs> that doesn't count though. They only talked about TV here, so yep. uh that's that's important. So, uh, with this article, Ben, are they um same blood clots formed because you're usually in a sitting position for TVs. Yeah. So, so that's exactly it. So watching TV, it doesn't apply. <laughs> no, lying down still uh, potentially applies. Uh, depends on if you're laying down with your head up or laying down with your head down or flat. Um, but their recommendation after the, all this was. Every half hour, you should get up and walk around after while watching TV. But the, the big thing is, is that you're 35% more likely if you watch more than four hours of TV per day. But what you did is they, they took 35% of a very small number and you, you add it to a small number and you still have a very small number. So your odds of actually developing a blood clot are still pretty small. Um, it is slightly increased... If you watch more than four hours of TV a day, though. How would this compare to like laying down at night sleeping? Like we all lay down and are sedentary for more than four hours a night of sleeping, hopefully for more than four hours. Um, Do we increase our risk of blood clots from that? Or is this like, okay, you're already sedentary for that amount of the day. Now, if you take another four hours on top of that, now you've really increased your risk. You know, I think, I think, yeah, that's the big thing. Uh, is having maybe it's having your legs bent decreases the venous flow, um, and so it, maybe it really is just all about the sitting and the position that you're sitting in. Um, but we do move around while we sleep for the most part, so you are getting some movement. But I, again, I don't know how they're saying that this is the worst thing in the world for you. I don't think that's what they come the conclusion to. But they, they I'm reading some of this and they make a lot of assumptions like they say uh, binge watchers tend to eat unhealthy snacks as well which leads to obesity high blood pressure and both raises the likelihood of blood clots um, 
How did did they really study these people and say, hey, if you're watching more than four hours of TV, what do you eat? Um, how much do you weigh? All this stuff. Right. I feel like they do make a lot of assumptions in here. And uh, yeah, you're right. As a general article, man, they drew some great conclusions, but tough to apply it to the whole world. Dr. Imes, have you ever treated someone that has a blood clot from TV watching? <laughs> Actually, no. I thought you were just going to leave it at blood clot. Um, yes, I've treated... <laughs> I'm, I'm sure you've had a couple of those in your career I, I've treated so a couple far. of those, but uh, from TV watching, no. Usually it's your, uh, your long international flights um, or long road trips. Those are like the two most common things that I, I think I see kind of setting these up. Is, I think you have to add that question to your uh, questionnaire for blood clot patients now. <laughs> I, I think that's where we're going. Have you watched for more than four hours a day, every day? I don't know. So anyway, if you see that one come across your, uh, your BuzzFeed or your Fox News or your CNN Health that you're watching TV is contributing to fatal blood clots. Eh, just take that with a grain of salt. I'm trying to look back at their wording of, because what does it say about people that watch around two and a half hours a day? They're never watchers, They're, never or seldom watchers. Who are they sampling for this? That that's a seldom or never. Exactly. At two and a half hours a day. I know. And this is in the UK. Now, Right? Yeah, this study was in the UK. I'm I would be scared to bring this over here to the US, this study. Yeah. Cuz it can't get better. No. I don't think it would be better. No. I also wonder if, you know, so certain parts of the pandemic when everyone jumped on and binge stuff on on uh, on Netflix is if they saw a an increase in uh blood clots during that time. Oh yeah, that's a good question also. Right, because we actually do see increased risk of blood clots with COVID. Oh, well, so well, or do we? <laughs> Are they actually blood clots from COVID, or is it because they sat around watching TV for eight hours, got COVID, came in with a blood clot, and like, oh, it's blood clot because of COVID? No, it's because they sat for four and four hours. Oh man, this is changing everything here. And they could also be dehydrated if they have COVID, mm. which could also contribute. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. All right. Thank you, Ben. Good times. Um, Maddie, let's hear yours. Sounds great. So my article is actually the, it's from November. Oh, gosh. I can't even find it now. Sometime November last year. But the reason I chose this is because it came up recently again um, just with the new strain of COVID going around, um, people losing their sense of taste. Um, so I recently had COVID three weeks ago, and I did not lose my sense of taste, but this still fascinates me because this article from uh, Fox News, or I guess it's a video, um, talks about how this woman lost her taste for a year and it only came back after she visited a chiropractor and um, chiropractor talks about um, 
making uh, her her nerves more open or loose uh, to be able to not not have pressure that could affect her sense of taste. So the reason I was curious about this is because Ben is a DO and I know you look at natural healing um, before going to medicine a lot of the times. Um, have you looked into this at all or practiced on any of your patients? Hmm. Uh, that's a good question. I have not looked into this and I have not seen anything before this of any studies on do spinal manipulations help restore the sense of taste? Um, PTs, have you guys seen this at all? I'm trying to read like if they specify what adjustment it is. Looks like it was an atlas adjustment, which I would not recommend people go do. Maybe like I could see it maybe clearing the sinuses, but yeah, they they talked about that as well. That um, yeah, that is more of a sinus um procedure, but it seemed to work for this woman. And because you do have a relationship between, especially like suboccipitals and and um, and sinuses, and and so the um, the the nerves that kind of control your taste can kind of get affected as they come out of the brainstem in that area, I would suppose. But anything that affects your smell, like your smell, does not go back through the the posterior brainstem at all. So you wouldn't expect it to affect smell for her. But I think this article was. All about taste, wasn't it? Well, maybe, uh, yes. It says both. I think she got both of them back? Mostly mm -hmm. taste, but Sean may be right. Obviously, I read my articles like 10 minutes before the show, so I know as much as you guys on this. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I also like, I like Annie's thought that, that maybe, yeah, it's just actually clearing up the sinuses through the manipulations and... I, right? Is that kind of what you were saying, Annie? Yeah, I had I had COVID in the summer, and I I didn't lose my smell and taste until later on when I was like congested, and I thought that's why I wasn't tasting or smelling. Do you uh, smell and taste now? Mm -hmm. Yeah, came back. Yeah, it came back after like a week or two. Yeah, and so what's what's the common procedure now? Um, because this string of COVID's not as intense, supposedly. Um, what's what's the procedure as far as getting better for most people? Just wait it out and drink lots. Yeah. Yeah. At this point, it, t it tends to be just supportive care. Drink lots of water. Stay away from people. Stop licking door handles. Mm. The oh, usual. I wish I would have known that one. Um, that's <laughs> well, why mine lasted so long, probably. <laughs> Think so. Door handles and paint chips. So, yeah, I don't. I, I like this. This is an interesting article. I don't know if, if it's enough uh, to you know for me to tell my patients to go to a chiropractor if they've lost their taste and smell kind of long term, but uh, but certainly something they could try. It seems like here. Here's where they lose me on it. A quote. I believe this is from. Dr. Ashley Price, who is a chiropractor. She says, with an atlas adjustment, 
with the adjusting the first bone in the neck, we can see amazing things. Vision come back, hearing come back. But I never thought in a million years that I'd be seeing so many patients get their taste and smell back. You lost me with that. Excuse me. What 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 part of that manipulation brings vision back and hearing back? Yeah. I, I've heard people that stroke out from some of those and they lose their vision or hearing. But I've never really heard of it being restored. Yeah, I'd I'd be cautious about about that part. <laughs> And isn't the Atlas one where they're like jerking straight up on the neck, like they had a whole harness on? Have you seen those videos? They freak me out. I hate watching those videos. So, I, again, I, I can't speak necessarily to chiropractic adjustments. I, you know, we do some uh, manipulations uh, in my office as well. But typically with the Atlas, its job is to rotate. So it's pure rotational. So it's a lot of, yeah, just a straight rotation manipulation. Rotation, like how far is this like? Well, if they turn into an owl, you've gone too far. Probably don't want to manipulate that person. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, probably a bad idea. Is isn't it that manipulation where you can sever the vertebral basal artery? Is that Mm. yeah? Because that's C one. Anywhere kind of along the the cervical vertebrae, uh, you, you see it often enough that you really want to have somebody who's very highly trained in that and who's going to be very cautious with it. If you're going to pursue that. Yeah. I can't speak for chiropractors, but um, when I was trained in upper cervical manipulations, we stayed in mid range. So we never really got to like the end end ranges, which is like when you do the vertebral artery testing, you're at an end range. So when we do the actual manipulation, we're never in that range of motion. I'm not sure how chiropractors do it, but that's how we learned in PT. And and I like that. Yeah, not going to that physiologic barrier, but mm-hmm. staying well before that. We we talked several years ago to a, an interventional radiologist here in town at one of the hospitals, and he said that it's far more common than you would think. Like they get many per year people that come straight from a chiropractor's table from that adjustment and severed the artery, and they're interventional. Is that like an exorcist? <laughs> That's exorcist. Yeah, we staff hospitals with those now, actually. <laughs> as, as as long as they're COVID tested, they're 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 in the yeah. hospital. They have trouble passing the religious exemption, though. The exorcism part of it. That's tough. <laughs> but they That's do tough. the three sixty manipulation, right? Yeah, all the way. Right. Well, so maybe there's maybe there's some hope for uh, for you if you uh, lose your sense of taste after contracting COVID. Uh, I probably wouldn't rush right to a chiropractor. Um, if nothing else, just so you can kind of clear out the virus instead of getting them sick. Uh, but uh, if it's lasting, uh, maybe there's some hope, huh? Maybe. 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 All right, who's next? I'll go. <laughs> <laughs> I I. I was interested in bringing this article because of the um, array that we have on here as hosts, being from physician to PT to patient, that we're going to see different sides of this one. So I'm curious uh, what uh, everyone's opinion is going to be on this one. Research finds that patients and providers differ in opinions about immediate access to medical records. Um, The first uh, percentage that they show on here 
the study published recently in the American Journal of Surgery found that the clinicians surveyed nearly 63% agreed that immediately releasing results would be more confusing than helpful for patients, whereas about 16% of patients surveyed agreed with that statement. So they're talking about like you get an MRI, it's uploaded into a patient portal, or you have your blood test come back, it's automatically up into a patient portal that you can see before the, the physician actually gets a chance to review it and be able to say anything to, um, to the patient, right? So let's go to medical law. Your medical record is owned by you, the patient. It is your property. Technically, correct? No, no one has a, any argument against that. The law hasn't changed. I'm not a lawyer. I'm not an attorney. Um, we didn't put that in our in our um, disclaimer. Our disclaimer at the beginning, but I'm also not an attorney. I'm even barely a physical therapist at this point. Um, but law states it is owned by the person. So it's your right to see your medical record, everything that's in it. Now, how fast you get to that information? That's been a moving scale over time with with technology, um, getting that up. There are caveats to it. There, there are ways that I can understand with this that maybe it's not a fantastic thing that everyone can see things so fast. Um, so I'm a little bit on the board with this because I've seen where it's gone wrong and patients have even come to me freaking out like, here, oh, I, I saw this on my dashboard for the physician. Well, maybe you should talk to your physician about that first. Like, don't just go freak out. But I've also seen on the other end people that even have gone through that entire thing of, of getting the results on, on, um, on any dashboard and still talking to the physician and they still come to me and they're freaking out about something they shouldn't be freaking out about. So it still wasn't explained well. So I'm not quite sure where I land on the spectrum. What uh, I'm sure Ben, you have seen some patients freak out about stuff that's shown up on tests before. What do you think about sure. this? Sure. Uh, you know, I, I think I'm, I'm, I would follow at least sort of where you're at with, man, I, I want patients to have access to their own records. It's so helpful for me when they can bring up their own records from another doctor that they've seen and they have that access. Uh, the trouble is getting this immediate access. I, I think that's, it, it's like you said, it's brought some issues up in the office where, you know, I'll, I'll tell them, hey, we're going to do some blood work because, you know, we need to screen for some things. It'll get sent to your, your, uh, your patient portal but if I'm not worried about anything, we're not going to call you to come back in to see me. Uh, you know, and if, if you're if you're worried about it, though, you can come back in and see me. And sometimes they're back in, like you said, Sean, before the 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 test results have even reached my desk. And they're in my office saying, hey, what about this one tiny little minutia? And I'm like, man, I'm sorry that you're here and that you paid a copay and that you took time off of work to come in to see me today to ask about this. But that's a nothing. That's that's nothing at all. And so I think for patients, it can cause some excess anxiety and stress um, and loss of work. But um, I, I don't know. I, it's interesting on my end because I get to see those things right away. Uh, you know, Matt, any, what are your thoughts on this? No, I agree with you. And like sometimes it does create a little extra anxiety with people. And I understand like how if someone's suffering with something, they want like an answer and they want like the label and like they want to know what's going on. But at the same time, I don't think anything replaces clinical decision making, which is what I think when people hop on Google after even like on when in PT, like an x-ray MRI, they go on Google and 
obviously Google gives you the worst case scenario. And um, then we are trying to kind of like play damage control on our end in clinic. So um, I think it can go both ways. It depends on the person and like maybe how long they've been in the system too. Like some people have just been dealing with something for years and years and they just want answers and they hold on to like the smallest little things that come up on these um, blood works or like x-ray or something like that. And then other people are just like, okay, like now I know. Yeah. If there was a way to like, like when you're ordering the labs to be like, this person has anxiety and maybe like, let's delay the results to get to them by 24 hours Mm -hmm. just so that. Even like what Sean was saying, how you've seen people who like have seen the physician and still are are freaking out about something, then that that's also like a communication thing that I find like just some some physicians and PTs like a lot of professionals just aren't mindful about the things they say and who they're speaking to, and then and then you, you like you don't know how someone will interpret something, especially if you don't know them too well. It's, it's interesting. No, that's a very good point. And these guys make a, a pretty good point. I think one of the best arguments that, that I can see on this is, you know, one one thing that providers have stated is, and now Ben, um, I said providers, but it, it says that on the article. I'm quoting the article right now. It's fine. It's talking about physicians in this one clearly, but I'm just saying I'm it's fine. quoting the article. I'm not calling you a provider. Just, I know how you feel going. about this. That's fine. It's fine. <clears throat> um the the, one big concern is you know do do mri results come back um at six o'clock on a friday night and no one's gonna get to review it until monday so the patient has all that time to be able to see that now i kind of have a story kind of in the middle back in my medical history um so when i was in grad school discovered that i have a cyst in my brain a fairly large one and I did an MRI on a Friday at like three. I get a call at like four thirty from my physician's office, and they're like, "Hey, um, how you feeling?" <laughs> now, when you just come back from an MRI, it's not quite the, the question that you want to hear from them. I'm like, good. She's like, "Are you sitting down?" I'm like, "Oh my gosh, what is coming next?" And she's like, "You know, you have a cyst in your brain." So what she left me with at that point, and this is where I can, I can go both ways. This a, I really appreciate that they they must've been busy at the end of the day, but still like called me right away to let me know there was something there. But what I got from her was, um, if you feel anything weird at all, just go to the ER. What happens if someone tells you, if you're going to feel something weird at all, you feel it all. You don't know what you feel, but everything's weird. Suddenly things you felt your entire life are weird. You know, you're going to freak out about it, especially if someone says there's something in your brain. We got to, we got to, you know, have you see a brain surgeon, see what's, what's going on, what we do about this. Um, so I, I understand the anxiety that that type of thinking cause and why physicians might not want that being let loose or when you want, you know, certain information let loose. And, and I can certainly sympathize with, with all providers for how much more paperwork all of us have had over. I mean, that's one thing that, that killed me before leaving general sports and ortho clinics is just all the different authorization companies that I have to reach out to now. Like you don't have time to give meaningful care. It takes away from all that stuff, unfortunately. Um, so that's where I can really see how, yeah, it isn't always a good thing to, to let those results out right away because we can't get to them right away. And there's no, no way you can get to all those tests and be able to communicate them out right away, uh, when they should yeah. be. Matt, what, 
Matt, what do you think? You're the patient. Do you do you want access right away? Uh, yeah, I definitely would want access right away. But I think everybody's point as far as you know, treating each individual as an individual um, is key because I think, you know, there's a number of people that will take it differently um, if they have access to the info without talking to someone. Um, as always, I'm trained and trying to keep this going throughout life and work is uh, stuff kind of will work itself out. And so not to not do anything, but just be patient and things get done. So, um, and basically let the professionals do their job without trying to take over as a patient. But like I said, for me, I like knowing and then just waiting to see what the professional will say about that stuff. I think that's a healthy outlook. Thanks. Yeah. I try and stay healthy. <laughs> Just so you can stay away from doctors. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And whenever he gets results of anything, yeah, calls yeah. So that's <laughs> that's kind of a key there. I've got an inside person. So. The inside track. Inside track. So there are two other interesting quotes from this. Um, one is an area where physicians and patients do not agree whatsoever. And so let's hit that one first. Uh, survey results also showed that about 75% of patients felt their, their provider should, uh, contract, should contact them within 24 hours of the release of an abnormal result. Whereas 9% of clinicians agreed with that time frame. And then maybe that goes back to your point where, you know, you have lots of paper, paperwork and lots of things you're also doing that just to get it out that quick is really difficult. Mm -hmm. But For I think sure. you kind of also hit on this a little bit, Matt, was a lot of results aren't that urgent. So an abnormal result, it could be abnormal, but man, it could be something that won't affect you for 20 years. Do I need to get to you within hours about this thing that's that's not going to hit you for a long time? Eh, probably another week won't be that big of a deal. Yeah, and I'd hope uh, any doctor I, I'd go see um, would make that determination like Sean's case. It sounded like his doctor to an extent did that and was like, hey, you've got something. If, if there is an issue... Take it seriously. So. Right. I think Ben, I think I remember making a phone call to you that day that I got those results too. And didn't I even tell you, I'm like, Hey, this isn't what they said. Cause you lived right next to us at that point still. And I was like, Hey, uh, can I call you if anything happens? And I said, no. Yeah. yeah Cause I know. Sure. Cause it was like late at night and I was like, I could watch your I dog sleep. Yeah. So. Don't call, don't call me. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, right? I mean, and you had no medical training at that point. So you I really was. Them. I know. Uh, the only thing I knew at that point was how to like cut things off of people. Like I could cut your arm or leg off, but <laughs> I hadn't done no medical training. So I was not the person you wanted to call. So I feel like you need to now clarify why you had that skill because I just saw Annie's <laughs> face. Like, what is going on? Here? I feel like that's a skill most people should have. So. And have you ever seen Dexter? 
You know what that uh, <laughs> series was based off of? That was a real life documentary. So first you learn uh, how to nope. take people apart and then you put them back together after. Exactly. Exactly. That's how medical training goes. Yeah. Uh, That's practice, huh? Yeah. Good practice. Good practice. It's, Learned a lot of ways of what not to do. Together, you take them apart again and keep going back and forth. And yeah. Basically. Yeah. One, one good procedure should lead to another. Yeah. yeah. He. What, is the donor network? What did you work for? Like the real answer. Oh that. yeah, sorry. I did work for a um, uh, organ donation uh, company prior to going to medical school, and so we, I helped uh, recover uh, bones and tendons, muscles, nerves, uh, veins. Eyes. Yeah, my company did eyes. I didn't actually get to do any eyes. So, like you were um, actually in there cutting. Yeah. Yeah. Before med school. Mm-hmm. They're already dead. Yeah, right. The good news is, for for everybody involved, they were already deceased. So, um, this was cadaveric harvesting. Uh, yeah. For so, f- uh, f- when you're trying to harvest like a, a heart, when somebody donates their heart or their kidneys or their liver, uh, those are usually taken from people who are technically brain dead but are still on life support, and so that's done by like surgeons and people who are very highly trained and skilled at that um but then after people have passed away um then they can still donate things like skin bone um and other connective tissue things uh and that that requires a lot less technical skill because you're not trying to keep everything still alive you're just trying to preserve it in a way that it can be useful in the future so i feel like it still requires a lot of like hands-on skill because we did the cadaver labs in um, PT school and like there was people in our groups that would just like butcher them. It was really tough to like keep things preserved. It is. It is. And and there's there's definitely a lot of uh, healthy respect that goes into it and, and it's on, it was a lot of on-the-job training. I don't know how they do it now. That's been more than a decade ago. That's really old. So almost two decades ago thank you for that with this so we can't see his bald head man man the, the shots keep flying this is great maybe we should move on to our next health article <laughs> or one more poll quote from this one. Oh yes as i said there was one other thing survey results also showed that of those surveyed about 90 percent of patients and 81 percent of clinicians agreed that providing patients with access to their health information is necessary in delivering high quality care that scares me a little bit that 19 percent of physicians say and we're not talking about quick at this point okay this is just is giving access to medical records good for high quality care that 19 percent of physicians said nah we don't need to, you don't need to have, have uh, access to your health records. I could see on the survey how that question could be a little bit misleading, right? Like, is, is, some context, right, probably, is this hopefully. necessary to deliver high quality care? I can still deliver high quality care if my patient knows nothing, right? So do they have access? Do they not? I, I can see how somebody might say, no, having access to that doesn't impact my ability to deliver care. But I agree with you. I, I And I think probably most physicians would agree that patients having access to their records is a good thing. Like the first thing I think of when they say they shouldn't have access is like, what are you hiding? Ooh, that's a good question. 
Maybe they're not documenting at all. Yep. <laughs> I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna comment. <laughs> um, good discussion, Doctor Kadar. I saved yours for last because, well, people will see why. <laughs> so, like when you said the articles are both educational and entertaining. If you were to look at that on a spectrum, I'd say mine is more on the entertaining side <laughs> with some health thrown in there. So I'll read the title. Social media influencer selling $1,000 jars of farts winds up in hospital after symptoms of heart attack. Oh my goodness, what happened to this poor girl? Stephanie Matto, I think that's how you say it, 31, was hospitalized after having what she felt was a stroke or a heart attack. Turns out, the type of attack she was having only rhymed with heart. (laughs) What a great line. What a great line. Very good. (laughs) So it turns out, she was not, in fact, having a stroke or a heart attack and was just having indigestion. Because she was selling up to 50 fart jars per week. And so her diet, as you can assume, consisted of beans, eggs, yogurt, and protein shakes. (laughs) After consuming the high-protein foods, she had, I guess, severe (laughs) abdominal pains, which turned into chest pains, which I guess is what prompted her to visit the emergency room. And I think it wasn't on this article, but another article I read about this is that uh, she has since retired from her jar business. And uh, she's okay. She did not have a stroke or heart attack. I mean, after you have a medical scare like that, though, how could you go back to work? Right. Really? Really. So I was interested because I'm like 50. I mean, I don't know. Like I I wouldn't ever like try it, but I was like 50 per week. Like I wonder how much she would have to be producing. So I looked it up. Did you see how much of this she sold? I didn't. $200,000. She sold $200,000 in product. (laughs) I hear oh this, gosh. and I don't really blame her. I mean, it's kind of <laughs> interesting. She's taking an opportunity as an entrepreneur, in a sense, and her fans started this by requesting these farts in a jar, and she's like, ah, oh, if I can make money off it, I'll try. And she's able to sell $200,000 worth. It's... The, the only part I can really object to on her side is that it caused health issues for herself. Um, besides that, I have no issue with this. Not that I would buy it, but from her point of view, these the I opportunity mean, and make the most of it. This is this is American capitalism at its finest. It is. I'm with you. I just have so many questions, but also I looked up on the Mayo Clinic, gas and gas pains, in case you're wondering. Most people have up to Mm -hmm. 20 incidences of passing gas a day. 
Wow. I know some that are way higher than that. <laughs> I've worked with some of those people. Yeah. <laughs> the the person that wrote this article, I appreciate them so much. Like if, if you go down this article, it is just rich with great quotes. Um, like this one, it was made clear that what I was experiencing wasn't a stroke or heart attack, but very intense gas pains. I was advised, I was advised to change my diet and to take a gas suppressant medication, which has effectively ended my business. <laughs> I like that they called it a natural gas business at the end too. Oh, natural <laughs> gas business. <laughs> You can stop the drilling, but you can't stop me. I will still make (laughs) natural gas in America. Did Did you see? So, so she was a, uh, she's a social media icon or whatever. Did you see how she got famous? Ninety Day Fiance. (laughs) Somebody dodged a bullet with this one. I'm really interested to know what her next business venture will be, though. Oh my goodness, me too. How do you top that? I, I would like a follow-up on all these people that bought these jars see what they're doing <laughs> with them. Like, or maybe it's just three people, like it mentioned, or three fans um, first requested this. Maybe it's three people like get one sniff and they're like, I need more. Let me buy more. And they keep buying more and they can't. It's like they're high now. Like, oh, oh. I gotta get my face oh. a little jarsmith. <laughs> <laughs> That's wrong. I, you're right. We do need to check up on these people, but like, they need a well check from like law enforcement. Because if you have someone that's paying a thousand dollars a jar for a fart, what else is in their home that we they're, need to be concerned about? I mean, people do for drugs all the time. It's just, it's the next thing. Did you see how she packaged it? Because look at the picture on there. I didn't see what was in the jar. I couldn't tell. It, it's it's oh. a rose petal. <laughs> From our, what I can tell, it looks oh, like a rose petal. I feel like that would taint the product a little bit. Yeah, I agree. How? I mean, there's so many questions. How does she capture these farts also? Is, it's like the process of creating them, right? Yeah, is she just... Uh, it's so weird. So weird. So mean a funnel into a jar? Yeah, yeah, that's what I was wondering. Some sort of suction tube that... <laughs> Who knows? So, yeah. That was my article for you. The answers to those questions, I don't want to know. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. <laughs> Dead article, Annie. Oh, well, well done. That was a great article to end on too. Well done. I, you know, the world would be a better place currently if, if people stopped uh, concentrating on COVID research and just did stories like this, mm. we'd all be better off. I'd I think. laugh a whole lot more. Yeah. So many people nowadays are trying not to work and this woman is in her job. So mm-hmm. she's making I'm going to look her up and see what her next venture is. Yeah. There's like, have you heard of the Great Resignation? They say that like, what is it? However many, the more people than ever have resigned from their jobs in 2021 than ever before. Yeah, because they like rethought their life. They're already unemployed. They're like, you know what? Maybe this isn't what I want to go back to. (laughs) 
yeah, a lot of people going back to online learning and whatnot to try to get different skills. Any great Thank article. You. Thank you very much. That just might earn you another invite back. <laughs> we don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing yet, Annie. So. It's good for me. Okay, good I'm for you. I'm happy to okay. come back. We are so glad to have you. Maybe it'll be more educational. I think that about wraps it up for health articles today. Uh, we had watching too much TV could lead to fatal blood clots, or maybe not. Uh, we talked about should you have access to your health information. And we talked about seeing a chiropractor to restore your sense of taste after COVID. And, and then it. finally, we talked about the dangers of natural gas. And also the lucrative business of producing natural gas. Uh, amazing. Thanks for joining us. I don't know where to go from that on that on that lesson. Like there's no segue you can go off of off of this last article. I I I got some jars to fill in the other room. <laughs> there's a gap in the market now. <laughs> <laughs> my competition just went out of business we're gonna crowd fund this one there, there was an article like a number of years ago about this woman uh capturing uh british air in like great britain and selling that online so this this kind of reminds me of that does it smell good in, in the uk I think she is just claiming it was fresh, non-tainted air. <laughs> She's hoping people didn't know what the UK was. <laughs> I've never seen pictures of that place. It must be beautiful. Okay. Well, with that, we'll see you next time. I'm Sean. I'm Ben. I'm Matt. I'm Annie. <laughs> Go check Eddie out at what's your holistic website? HolisticDPT on all socials and HolisticDPT.com. Thank you for listening to the Doc Doc Goose podcast. If you like what you heard, please leave a review to help others discover us. Visit our website at www.ddgpodcast.com to read the show notes, blogs, view videos, and interact with the cast. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at The DDG Podcast. If you have an Apple device, you can easily access the podcast by saying, Hey Siri, play the Doc Doc Goose podcast.